Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Lawcast. This week, we're talking about ECW One Night Stand 2006. Kyush, what are your memories of the time WWE went crazy and decided to bring back ECW? Even sitting here in 2017, it's hard to believe that this actually happened. Like, I, I vividly remember, like, it was like a fever that everyone got caught up in when they released that DVD and everyone was so pumped about ECW and One Night Stand was so great. And here was coming the other one. And finally, like, the news sites start picking up on they're going to do ECW a show. Like, it's coming back. It's like nobody knew what to expect. WWE had never really done anything like this before. Like, it no. did. This like is it, sort of what they talked about doing with WCW, but that would have only been a couple months after WCW had folded, they would have relaunched it. This was five years after ECW had gone out of business. Right. And Rob Van Dam during this time kind of becomes almost like a folk hero when like everybody finds out that he's the reason for the ECW revival. So he's like out of nowhere become a star, like as hot as he was during the invasion. It's a fascinating point where like there were all these reasons lining up to believe that this might actually happen and work. Like, it, yeah, it, and it I can, yeah. I remember when this, when I like first read about this, this was maybe the most excited I ever was as a wrestling fan, even though I wasn't that big of an ECW fan. It was just such a crazy, insane, cool thing. And it had been like something we had been speculating about on wrestling message boards for years. Oh, wouldn't it be awesome if they brought back ECW? Like, and then they decided to actually do it. Train was running so hard. Like, ECW had been gone for long enough that we remembered so fondly all the people in it and completely glossed over all of their flaws. Like, all of a sudden, Balls Mahoney was like a pretty damn good worker. <laughs> yeah, it was just long enough that we could be nostalgic for, like, the late 90s and the Attitude Era and ECW. This was the very beginning of that, where yeah. we could look back on the good old days fondly. Mm -hmm. But soon enough that they were all still young enough to actually work. Well, not, sort of. Some, well, of, some them. of them, yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, it was April 2006, like right around or right after WrestleMania that the news leaked. It may have been right before because I remember going into WrestleMania, everybody's assumption was that Van Damme was going to win the money in the bank and cash it in on the ECW show. But yeah, right around WrestleMania, the news leaked. Um, they really, they tried hard to get the entire band back together. They got Paul Heyman back. They put him in charge of creative. I think he had been working in OVW, which was, you know, kind of their way of trying to get him to quit, to send him to Louisville. Um, they put Heyman, Dreamer, and Ed Kosky in charge of creative. They called, like, literally everybody they tried to get raven they tried to get the dudleys they tried to get shane douglas even like guys you thought were you know blackballed from working for wwe anymore they tried to bring back but a lot of those guys were under contract with tna or otherwise just weren't really interested in making a full-time comeback so they kind of settled on they got sabu and they got sandman they already had dreamer they got balls mahoney just incredible Super crazy, and after that, kind of just a bunch of kind of undercard guys from the old ECW. C.W. Anderson, Roadkill, the FBI. A pretty decent roster, but not blowing me away. Like, not 
certainly paled in comparison to the roster that they had for the first one night stand show. Right. And I don't think they needed to get all of those guys to make it like a credible show, but there are, it, it does feel a little bit empty. Like if they could have just gotten like a couple of different ones that weren't in T that like, if they get like Rhino or in like Jerry Lynn, it's like a Raven, like that's enough. Right, like that. That just fills it out, and there's like main event level ECW performers. Yeah, it doesn't a drop from like Sabu and Sandman and Dreamer down to that next level of guys. Exactly, and I mean that's because TNA was basically doing this exact same thing over there. Yeah. Oh, didn't that come later? I thought they did that in like 2009. I mean, it officially, like the show <laughs> that they did came later, but unofficially, yeah. they were basically just signing a all the ECW guys praying that the fans would actually care. Yeah, didn't work out. Um, so the initial reporting was that they would get like a real late night TV slot, like you know, 11 o'clock on Saturday night, which was kind of what I envisioned anyway, because that would allow them to kind of be, you know, make it a more mature product and you know, make it kind of unimportant enough that maybe Vince wouldn't care about and would give them some freedom with it. The other thing was maybe they were talking about it taking Velocity's place as a webcast. And I never watched Velocity online in this era, but I can only imagine what a webcast looked like in 2006. That sounds horrible. It wasn't great. I mean, I, Velocity actually had like a small kind of like real hardcore fan base that was mostly built around like the one good match in Velocity history, which was uh, Akio versus Regal. Paul London. And, uh, yeah, oh, and that one too. Benoit and Regal had a great series. I mean, like For a while, it seemed like they were wrestling on Velocity every week. Yeah, it's kind of like when Superstars debuted and there was suddenly like a great match in the main event every single week, and so some people only watched Superstars. It was kind of like, like that. Yeah. Um, but they ended up actually getting a TV deal, sci- you know, the Sci-Fi Network, which wasn't a great one but it was just kind of found money because i don't think they were expecting to get this on t i don't think they were expecting to get a new tv spot for it i think they were thinking maybe it would take like the spot of the raw replay that was running at two o'clock in the morning but instead a pretty good tv deal tuesdays at 10 p.m on the sci-fi network um so the idea was that it would be live after smackdown had just been taped which sort of struck me as like kind of strike one at the time that doing a live show after you've just taped smackdown is a bad idea c 205 live yeah it's amazing they didn't learn their lesson from this because obviously it's not something that can work it's just the fans are already burnt out they came to watch a totally different show in a totally different style and now you're just expecting them to be into this like it's just not something that can sustain itself and yet they just yeah and like you're gonna do ECW at like in like Cleveland, Ohio, and Chattanooga, Tennessee, and just like random towns where there was no ECW fan base. Like if you were gonna make this work, you probably needed to shoot it like at the Hammerstein Ballroom or the Manhattan Center or somewhere in the Northeast every single week. But that would cost way too much money. Yeah, I completely agree. But. So- they yeah, should have just not done this as the end. They should have just been like, eh, fun idea, but we can't pull it off. I guess that's the thing. Like, they really, structure-wise, they do everything possible to try to pull this off. And it's kind of a victim of its own success, you know? 
Like they, there's such runaway momentum for this that they have to try it. Crazy that they're just like, well, hell, let's get it on TV. Well, hell, let's take it on the road. Like it, it's it's a mistake, 100. And they launch it. I mean, they decide we're going to bring this back in April, and they launch. They do the pay per view and the TV show show in June. Like they put it together in two months. They they definitely this is something that should have waited and had more time. But yeah, like if after the first like if the night of like the first one night stand pay-per-view, they'd be like, we should bring this back. Let's spend the next year putting this together and launched it after the show. Then it still probably wouldn't have worked, but at least they would have had more time to put it together. Yeah. But that's just not WWE style, man. The XFL, the network, all all of it came to be in like three months. (laughs) Yeah. Vince wanted his new ECW brand and he wanted it right now. So I think there's a narrative around this and I, it's probably like from some random ECW guys shoot interviews and stuff that like Vince brought this back intending it to fail. So people wouldn't chant ECW anymore. And like, that's a really dumb theory. And I think what disproves that more than anything else is like they put top tier talent on ECW when ECW gets their two draft picks from Raw and SmackDown, the two guys they get, are Rob Van Dam and Kurt Angle, who are both totally legit main event stars. Kurt Angle had just lost the world heavyweight title on SmackDown and was one of the five biggest stars in the company, and Van Dam was on fire and like a legit main event guy at that point. Absolutely. Can Vince McMahon get a little goddamn credit at this point? No, never. But I mean, like... Not only does he bring this thing back, not only does he actually listen to the fans and look at the sales and say, all right, this is what they want. Let's do it. He takes his own hands off of this. This is the first time that he takes his hands completely off of his own product, right? Not for very long, but yeah. He gives it a chance. He literally is just like, this is Paul Heyman's. I'm going to give you my stars. I'm going to give you TV time. I'm going to give you all the resources. This is for you guys to do. Go for it for it unprecedented it only triple h with nxt now has had that kind of freedom and paul Heyman is not as trustworthy as triple h uh no not exactly um so then on top of that they also got the big show he jumped um at the they did a it was a special on like a wednesday night i think it was like wwe versus ecw and it was actually a really good show but yeah big show defected to ecw so they've got big show van damme and angle on top of the ecw guys and like that's a pretty legitimate roster to me now it is important to remember that at that point big show was about as worthless as he'd been since he was kind of so fat they sent him down to ovw he just didn't have a lot of direction but i mean he was the big show there he's always got potential to become he's something always, yeah he's one of those guys you can there's always the chance there's always the possibility you can flip the switch and just get him hot which they managed to do here as this um brand went along oh my god like this revives the big show this probably is probably the best run of his career absolutely like he just get somehow being an ecw like let him tap into meanness which is something that he never really did like but he became such like an aggressive fucking shithole that it was amazing yeah um the the big show is the ecw champion defending against like everybody from raw and smackdown was the best thing about this show and it actually made people believe in the big show like he became like part of the ecw fabric for a minute yeah no he and he was accepted almost immediately it's actually interesting he gets a really big pop when he comes out 
it's just one of those things like I don't think it's possible to know in advance. Like they were just kind of like flying by the seat of their pants. Like, I wonder who Smarks will like. I wonder who Smarks will like. Uh, will they like this guy? The only one they were sure about was Kurt, which I mean, th- that's a layup. He had some history with ECW. He's 100% credible. They knew that was going to work. All of the dice, but man, it worked. Yeah. So like we said before, the main event is Rob Van Dam cashing in money in the bank against John Cena for the WWE championship. Um, I'd say my expectation was they would do some kind of disputed finish where like Van Dam pinned him, but then they would announce that like on raw, they'd be like, no, Cena's still the WWE champion, but Van Dam is the ECW champion was sort of the way I expected them to come out of this. Oh yeah. I thought this was going to be a dusty finish all the way. I mean, it's important to remember that while Van Dam was hot during this period and we like a lot of people were super hot on him, the last pay-per-view match he had before this was against Shelton Benjamin. And he lost, it's not, didn't he? Uh, yeah, because it was for the IC title and the Money in the Bank. Or, yeah, Actually, no, I, think he like might have, I think he did win the belt, but then he lost it back the night after that or something. But yeah, it was. Yeah, they were not exactly pushing him to the moon at this point. Yeah, so he's not on Cena's level here. It's only being in this environment that would make you believe that he was, which is why they do wind up protecting Cena a little bit at the end, but Cena does the job, man. Yeah. And it was a revelation because it was the first time it was the first time they put Cena in a situation where they knew he was going to be booed and they were cool with it and they just rolled with it. And that would kind of subsequently become the rest of John Cena's career. Yeah. And while we'll get more into that match, because it's really fascinating in that way, I do want to point out that like the level that the WWE guys go to to put over the ECW guys is incredible. this with the wcw guys by any means no like, and if they had the invasion may have gone better exactly like they're selling their asses off for a yeah. ecw ecw kicks the shit out of wwe on this show yeah and that's just sort of the, the way it was going too. like that episode of raw that you talked about is one of my favorite of all time they make you feel like sabu is an equal to john cena like, they have a battle royal where they put in all the biggest WWE stars and then just a bunch of ECW nobodies, and they treat them like equals. Like, it, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I just, I can't, I can't say they didn't try, um, at least initially. Right. Things, it all fell apart really fast, but they really did put all their effort into this. Like, it was not probably a very. It was not a good idea. I would say that's with hindsight, but I think also at the time, if we had been thinking more clearly rather than with nostalgia, we would have said, "You shouldn't be watering down your brand. It's you've already got two shows and not enough stars for those two shows. Like creating a third and diverting even more guys is a bad idea." But they really went for this. I don't really know what they thought their end game was here, other than just we can have a third show, more TV rights, more house shows, more pay-per-views. But yeah, none of that really worked out. Yeah. I think now from the future, we can tell that Vince always wanted a third brand. Like he just, for some reason was in love with the idea that they could do a, a third one, have somebody touring literally every day of the week forever. Yeah, um, It's just more, more, more content is more money. Like this has been WWE's business model for a long time now. Yeah, had the idea for WWE Network worked come out before the idea for ECW, that, that would have been the ideal platform for it. It just never worked out that way. Yeah, like what we it, in a lot of ways, ECW ended up being 
the forerunner to NXT, just not as good as NXT ended up being. But right. we'll kind of get into that part of it later. So um, getting into the show, um, crowd was going absolutely crazy when the show kicked off. Like, And I love that there was no opening package. They just cut straight into the arena. Absolutely. And just the signs and stuff, like it's become so legendary. This crowd on this night, one of those things that resonates with people. And the, if Cena wins, we riot. Yeah. Sign. How often do I, I you gotta, hear that? How often do you hear that phrase? Like all the time. Like whoever came up with the idea for that sign has become like a benchmark in wrestling history. Yeah. And like what an like that's literally like the biggest most famous sign of all time, right? I mean, it's sort of like that's the beginning of like the modern dynamic of wrestling where the only thing that gets heat is when the promotion doesn't have the guy you like win. Exactly. I mean, yeah, like I think you can sort of trace that feeling back to here. At least this is when it was crystallized. Yeah. And that's the important thing to remember. Like all subsequent, if Blink doesn't win, we riot, it, it rings false. Like, like, no, you're not. Shut up. But here there might have been, there probably actually would have been a riot or at least like a bunch of trash thrown at the ring. If Cena had squashed oh, God. Van Dam, I'm not sure he makes it out without a fist fight. Yeah. Like, I, I think there would have been, yeah, like, legitimate concern for his safety. Um, also, like there would have, also, there's a reason someone else on this show uh, does their promo from the balcony instead of in the ring. But we'll get into that later. Absolutely. Uh, so Heyman comes out and he does a promo. And he just kind of fires up the crowd. You know, this is your moment. You did this. You know, just great. I always love these Heyman promos. It's, it's also, I feel like sort of a lost art, the idea that somebody, the promoter would be a booster of the promotion. Like you never have, it doesn't, I mean, you do Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon do this a little bit on SmackDown where they're like, this is SmackDown. This is the A show, but this is kind of old school where it's like Heyman is just like ECW is real wrestling. You know, you guys are the real fans and I miss this kind of dynamic. Yeah, I mean, he's telling them exactly what they want to hear, and they're eating it up left and right. I mean, this and then this isn't just something that worked because ECW was hot in the moment. I mean, this always worked. Paul Heyman just had a way of making you feel like you were 10 feet tall, including the fans. Like, they, he tells them that they're the ones who brought it back, and he's right. Like, there was yeah. a lot of ownership that people took over this. Like, hey, we made this happen. Like yeah. our they bought, sales, they, they spent the money, they bought the DVDs, they bought the pay-per-view. Like, yeah, they are the ones who made it happen. It was kind of an awakening for smart fans, like of the consumer power that yeah. they wielded. Like this was the moment where it's like, Hey, we did something. Yeah. You can vote with your dollar. Uh, so the opening match was Taz versus Jerry Lawler. I remember in the lead up to this, there was kind of hope and speculation that this would be an actual match and that like somehow Taz would be come out like a hundred pounds lighter and <laughs> in his singlet and actually be able to like suplex Jerry Lawler. But that was definitely wishful thinking because Taz looked like he was about 300 pounds here. Oh my God. Yeah. Taz looked horrible. Honestly, <laughs> he's like, in his baseball Jersey and his sweatpants, but he's still like doing the Taz walk. It's yeah. It's like, it's like a parody of Taz. Yeah. And so like, it, it was a weird thing to kind of put on first because it's just like ECW was amazing. You made it happen. Here's fat <laughs> WWE. Taz. <laughs> yeah. Here's that guy. You remember being awesome. Now he's like three, he's like a lame 300 pound announcer. Um, 
Joey Styles actually looks a lot better than Taz does. <laughs> Dude, Joey Styles is probably legitimately tougher than Taz. Taz <laughs> probably not got right. JBL. That is a good point. That is a good point. So Lawler comes out. He's in heel mode. I've mentioned before, I love heel Jerry Lawler. He slaps Joey Styles at the announce desk, which gets a ton of heat. And when Lawler gets in the ring, Styles like kind of jumps on and puts him in a sleeper hold. And, like Lawler throws him off, but that's enough distraction for Taz to choke him out and get the win in 35 seconds. Um, you know, it was all they could do. So fun little angle here, but you know, I guess it was disappointing in the moment that you know Taz couldn't do an actual match, but I'm glad he didn't try because it would have been really bad. It's so funny too because this was the major angle that was leading into this show. Like this is the one that had been building up for months and months on Raw, where like Lawler would just like shit on Joey Styles. Yeah, you remember the Joey Styles shoot promo? Yes, that, that was a great one- moment. That was one of the first things that really got people so hyped for this show. Yeah. Was Joey Styles is just like. It was throws the down pipe bomb before the pipe bomb. Yeah. He cuts a huge shoot promo on everybody and on Jerry Lawler and storms off the set and stops being Raw's announcer. And it's like, this is before we know the show's coming. And it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. And real um, thing. Do you remember on the uh, the special they did the Wednesday before there was a segment where like Lawler and um, Lawler and Taz were getting into it? And like they were separated, and then like Joey Styles just like smacks Jr.'s hat off. Yeah, see that was the hotness. I think maybe, obviously Jr. couldn't do anything in the ring at this point, and you wouldn't have wanted to. But Fuck something no. like that, I guess you can't do that because they're not going to boo Jr. Like Smarks just aren't going to boo Jr. anyway. Yeah, but I mean, it was that that just one moment. I mean, what made that moment work was I think it was just kind of like something he did in the moment, and Jr. looked pissed. Maybe he just sell, sold it well. Right. Like it, it felt like Joey Styles so embodied ECW, like he always did. Like he's the voice, and the fans accepted him as that. Joey Styles was over during this period for that promo. Like people forget because yeah. CM Punk obviously cut the bigger pipe bomb promo but man he went in on wwe go back and look that up on youtube he went in well and that was another case of i'm sure the thing he really thought the things he was saying because he had gotten screwed out of his job it's you know the classic case of wwe hires an announcer because they want a different voice and then as soon as they get there they try to make them sound like all of their other announcers yeah Um, but but so yeah this had a lot of heat coming into it it really did luckily they managed to maintain it despite the fact that taz probably couldn't have even done a single suplex the thing that's amazing is after this when taz gets back to the announce table to do commentary he is completely blown up and all he did (laughs) did was walk to the ring and put lawler in a chokehold and yet he can barely talk I did love Taz and Joey Styles as an announced crew together. Like they have great chemistry on this show and it's just like kind of an easy, friendly chemistry and they go through it and it's good. I like it. They were unquestionably the best ECW commentary team. Absolutely. Uh, Better than Adam Lay and Taz and (laughs) uh, Grisham and Stryker, I think. Yeah. Grisham and Stryker. It was Grisham. Yeah. I always get Grisham and Matthews confused. Oh boy. All right, (laughs) second match, Randy Orton versus Kurt Angle. Um, I love this match. Phenomenal. This this might be the best match of Randy Orton's career. 
which seems weird to say because I think of Randy Orton as a really awesome worker, but when I start trying to think of what his best matches are, like nothing really jumps out at me. Oh, yeah. He's a guy who's had in his career a hundred really good matches and no, not really many great matches. But this is definitely up there. Yeah. Um, he, there's just so much heat on him when he comes out because he's just like the epitome of what smart fans hated about WWE in this era. Just like the guy who looks like he comes off an assembly line. He's like the generic creator wrestler in the SmackDown games. 6'4", abs, lightning tattoo. It's just like every guy who came out of developmental looked like this guy. Yeah. Oh, and he's secretly a douchebag and everybody <laughs> online knows it. Yeah. And he's just feeding into that. Like, we all remember the reaction that Cena got. Cena wasn't getting assaulted on his way to the ring. People were yeah. punching yeah. Randy some, Orton. Some bad kid punches Orton and, like, Orton gives him... The thing with Randy Orton is what makes him great is you know he can just go off at any time. And he was real close to just jacking this kid. Yeah, he just turns around and he just, he just like, stands over him he's got like two feet on this kid <laughs> and he's like come on hit me again if that kid had hit him again orton would have clocked him in the face <laughs> um yeah i, I loved he gets in the ring and he does his pose and he has his pyro which oh is such a great troll of the crowd oh my god the crowd hates pyro so much <laughs> especially this pyro where he's like doing his pose and it's the gold sparklers like Oh man. And um, the chance that he gets in this match too are vicious. Yeah. Fuck him up angle. Fuck him up. Pussy. Uh I think there's a go fuck Cena in go there. Go fuck Cena. Uh a your uh <laughs> questionable words. Yeah. Um I th- this match is just so this is a completely different style. The only thing I can think of with this match is it reminds me of that Joe Angle match from Lockdown. Yes. Like they're kind, it's kind of like a worked shoot fight. Like Ang- they're doing really stiff strikes and laying it all in, and angles doing all kinds of like takedowns and ground and pound and like different submissions than he would normally do. And you know, we just Orton is one of those guys who I feel like kind of rises to the level of whoever he's working with. So when he wrestles somebody awesome like Kurt Angle, like he's just as good and he goes move for move with him here. Yeah. That's what really surprised me. Cause if you would think that they angle would start doing the style, you'd be worried that like Orton's not really the guy to help you with your like catches, catch can shoot wrestling UFC style, but he did. He kept up. Uh, he like is working so hard as a heel. And like, it's literally like he sat in the back beforehand. It's like, what are a million things? Smarks hating matches. I'm going to just do those things. Like, yeah some headlocks <laughs> yeah no dives actually he does do a dive he does a cross body <laughs> off the top rope the most technical dive yeah and it's an absolutely beautiful cross body oh my god it's cross body. just that athletic yeah um but yeah just like lots of good stuff here you know the i always love the counter where angle goes for the angle slam and orton kind of slips out of it and gets him with an arm drag and it's one of those things that they make look effortless that's probably almost impossible to pull off in reality that that's randy orton's whole thing like it's so hard for him to have great matches because he never seems like he's struggling to do anything you never, no, never seems vulnerable it's so superplex it's all just perfect and effortless easy his entire moveset is shit that should be hard and it's not <laughs> yeah 
Um, just a really good match. Ends with Angle tapping out Orton with the ankle lock. Just awesome match here. If you've never seen it, go check it out. Just totally different kind of match. And Angle continued to do this kind of match. He had a couple more of these. Uh, he had one with Just Incredible where he like pinned him with a headbutt that was really awesome. But yeah. yeah, I mean, this was sort of like the direction his career needed to go to protect his neck. But instead, he refused to go to rehab, got fired, went to TNA, and just continued to wrestle like Kurt Angle and destroy his body for the next 10 years. Yeah, I wasn't able to enjoy this match fully at the time because there was a black cloud hanging over Kurt Angle during this period where we knew how messed up he was physically yeah. in that he was on the painkillers. and It's a every travesty that he was on the road here. Like the fact that they didn't send him home. Uh, maybe he refused, but they should not have been booking him here. Well, there was a school of thought that basically was they were going to take him off the road and then ECW came along and they needed him. And like, so it just felt wrong to be watching him wrestle and be wrestling really physically. The thing is, it, it was obvious doesn't it feel he was like he's up. taking the place of Chris Benoit here. Like, but why wasn't this Benoit? Benoit was just, he, I mean, I guess the term would be personal problems, but like they had, um, I don't think Benoit was hurt. They just sent him home for a couple months because he was like, I mean, struggling with both his mental and physical health. And this is a year before his murder suicide. So yeah, this is, it, I think, when his marriage is getting really bad. He's really starting to lose it. Yeah, but I, that, I remember my expectation being that he would come back as part of the ECW, and it never happened. Until well, they I mean, moved to W at the very end. I was say he kind of did, but it was at you know literally the very end. Like yeah. he was there to put over CM Punk. Like how awesome would that have been? But yeah, um, but yeah, it definitely felt like this was Benoit's spot, and they were giving it to Angle. Yeah, like I I, I wish there was a world in which we could have seen what he could have done with that. Like a, a healthy, not at all in that mental place, Chris Benoit. Like the crowd would have been. If this happens, it would have been really cool to see, yeah, Benoit as the angle tough guy ass kicker doing all his submissions and stuff. This would have been fun. Yeah, and finally a show that's meant for him, you know, like that he could really be the top star of. Yeah. Uh, after the match, Orton is like, he really plays up the ankle. It's broken. They send like one referee out to help him. He's like, no, get me two more. <laughs> They literally like bodily carry him out while they chant Europlicity. <laughs> this might be the best night of Randy Orton's career. Oh my god. Like and I said this before, like when the whole thing about like taking dives came out on the internet recently, like what I said was Orton that we always should have had. Randy Orton is a heel. He's not spent, a baby face. They spent their whole, his whole career <laughs> desperately trying to make him something other than this. This is what he is. He's a dick. He just oh is. My, this is why the legend killer was so, so amazing, is you believe that this little shithead really thinks he's better, and he kind of is. Yeah, um, it, absolutely. If, if we had gotten this Randy Orton his whole career, he would have had a much better career. Yeah, this is the top heel Roddy Piper, Randy Orton that could have made money, money. Yeah. And he just kind of never got there. You imagine like this guy feuding with CM Punk, feuding with Daniel Bryan. That would have been amazing. If they had seen what was coming, if they had really seen like the smart explosion that was coming, this would have been the heel to put up against it. 
But yeah. unfortunately, by then, they had watered it down too much. So the next match, we've got the FBI, uh, Nunzio and Tony Mamaluke with Big Guido accompanying them versus Tajiri and Super Crazy. And I was surprised by how much I liked this match. Um, this felt like a match very like ahead of its time, a very like indie style, high impact, lots of spots, really stiff match that I enjoyed more than I was expecting it to be. But it's kind of just a total thrown together filler match. There's no program here, and it doesn't really make sense for Tajiri and Super Crazy to be teaming up. Those guys had probably a thousand matches in ECW. Yeah, and Tajiri would have, like, he just re-debuted in this match, right? Like, it was just... I don't think he was part of... I, th- I think this was it for him, too. Yeah, they sort of talk of on... They sort of talk on the show like he's going to be part of it, but he's under contract with Hustle at this point. Like, he's not... Yeah, he didn't... I, I'm sure they called him, but I think he didn't want to come back from Japan. I've, always, I, I've heard before that, like, his wife didn't like America, and that was why he left WWE. And he was white hot in Japan at that point. It would have been stupid for him to yeah. come back. So it is just kind of a nice thing to see him here. I, I gotta say, I don't really I never really liked the FBI. I never really liked Little Guido. But I, I gotta give it up for poor Tony Mamaluke, whose entire career is just like he's like a, a mattress people do moves to before Little forget, Guido takes. I always forget that he exists. I can never remember like who I was I was like, Oh, was it Vito here? Who was his partner? Yep, poor Tony Mamaluke. And I remember when I first got into Ring of Honor and he was down there with like a new version of the FBI. And I was like, oh yeah, Tony Mamaluke. Yeah. Um, so not, not a lot to say about this match. It's kind of long, but you know, a fun kind of filler match on the card that I think showed maybe a style that ECW could have embraced, which is like the fast-paced, you know, future Ring of Honor style of wrestling. Yeah. What this match shows and what a lot of his matches showed during this period super crazy was money man yeah like they should have pursued that more i'm shocked he didn't end up in the wcw cruiserweight division i've never heard a story on why he didn't i think they were i think the big reason why is that somebody in the backstage genuinely thought there was money in the mexicals it was like <laughs> i don't know if it was michael hayes one of his racist rants or whatever the hell but like somebody thought that there was like a main event stable in the Mexico. <laughs> yeah, Mexican dudes riding lawnmowers to the ring. What a slap in the face to SmackDown's Hispanic fan base. Oh my god, yeah, like, oh, they, think they, about like, that. Like, his, like, Hispanic fans have, like, are at that point carrying SmackDown, and they have a, they bring in these top luchadors and have them ride lawnmowers to the ring and, like, wear janitor's uniforms. And as heels. That was the other thing. Like, it was supposed to originally be, like, like a subtle, more subtle gimmick, where it's just like, oh, this is how you see us white yeah, people. Yeah, it's like the large steel you. thing. It's kind of tongue in cheek, but yeah. Instead, they just became like, yeah, yeah. They were just lawnmower riding heels who couldn't <laughs> speak English. Like, what? What are you doing? Yeah. Um. So after the match, Big Show comes out and kills everybody to a huge pop. He's doing like, yeah, I love the the Cobra Clutch backbreaker into the like, just kind of fling them across the ring slam. See that it was. Uh, Always looked so nasty, but in a good way. Like that's the big show we always should have gone gotten. Like, forget about the chokeslam, forget about all this other crap. He's just flinging dudes. 
dudes. Like, they don't even exist. It's beautiful. Yeah. And the crowd pops huge for him killing these guys, even though it's a WWE guy showing up to kill the ECW dudes. Yeah. It doesn't even feel that way. Like, even though he'd literally only been in ECW for, like, a day. Like, it, it feels like, oh, shit, here comes the biggest new addition to ECW. Like, it, it works so well. And he looks nasty. Yeah. Um, foreshadowing how good his run would be. Uh, next up, we've got a JBL promo. <laughs> he just appears on the balcony because if he tried to get to the ring, somebody would have stabbed him. Um, he, he had such heat. Oh, it's because of the last quite one, hot. Yeah. But yeah. the last one night stand, like he legit, like in the middle of the melee at the end of it, like he knocks Blue Meanie like out just about. Like he just yeah. he cheap shots him Shot and everybody him up. And they settled with Blue Meanie by letting him beat JBL in a match on SmackDown. Right, which was like half a match. Like, it I wasn't just, anything. It's just like the most markish thing I've ever heard, that instead of him suing the company and getting money because JBL beat him up, they're like, oh, what if we bring you in a few times and you get to pin JBL? And he's like, <laughs> okay, that sounds awesome. Fucking ridiculous wrestling yeah. is such a ridiculous thing <laughs> although jbl did get hit with one of the worst chair shots i've ever seen at the end of that match yeah so it was stevie richards who hit him but yeah just massacred i guess they got their money's worth but yeah he comes out and cuts this <laughs> promo and he's like i are... beat the shit out of the blue mini last year you know what happened nothing like stop bragging about that stop they're gonna sue you again <laughs> Crowd chants, you suck dick. He responds, I don't see any women out here, and you're chanting about a male organ. Now who's the fruit booty? I think I popped harder for the use of fruit booty <laughs> than I've ever popped for anything a in a promo. What a great phrase. <laughs> <laughs> this goes this goes on way too long. This ends up going oh, yeah. on for several minutes and like I kept waiting for the, like, oh, Sandman's going to beat him up, right? Like, he's going to get his come up. It's here. Nope. Just cuts his promo and goes away. Yeah. Like, there are two really interesting things about it. Like, I, I get, I think that the idea here was, like, they just put on a super nostalgic match, but they really wanted to remind people that this show was about ECW versus WWE. So they really just wanted to, like, stoke the flames of hatred for WWE just to be like, hey, guys, don't forget we fucking hate WWE. <laughs> yeah. And his end line, kiss my ass. This show sucks. He walks away. <laughs> the funniest part about it to me is that the entire time he's cutting this hateful anti-ECW promo, Rey Mysterio is standing right behind him. Wait, he was? Like, either Why? that or someone exactly Ray's height in a mask. No, and- could- Ray couldn't have been up in the balcony. He's in the next match. I know, but like it, it was literally that, that, isn't. That, was that like where the locker room was because of the way the arena was set up? And you would imagine that they would have wrestlers like standing there keeping people from coming out. But like literally, if it's not Ray, it's someone his height wearing a Ray mask. <laughs> Maybe this clearly... is why the crowd shit on Ray so much. I don't know, but like it's like, why would you put Ray right there? He's the king baby face. Because <sighs> they were doing everything they could to make sure he didn't get over as champion. There's also a security guard that looks exactly like Stone Cold Steve Austin standing right behind him. <laughs> so I was like, wait a minute, Steve Austin's here? Yeah, he was at the last one. Yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, next match for the World Championship, not the World Heavyweight Championship because Ray has it. 
It's Rey Mysterio versus Sabu. The ECW crowd hates Rey, both the year before this and this year. Any idea why? I mean, I thought a lot about that while I was watching this match. I think clear line that you can follow when you're seeing like who the ECW fans embraced and as in who they didn't. Part of it was Ray was never like really part of the fabric of ECW. He came in for like a couple of matches and yeah, then he, he went elsewhere. And he changed so completely like after he came to WWE and stuff like that. Like any character that became like pandering like kids. Yeah, they mostly like seem to hate the 619. Like when he does what it is. Yeah, when he does like his WWE stuff, they hate it. But also while the DVDs will really like put over like we had the best luchadors and stuff like that, like that's not really what the fans thought ECW was about. That's that's kind of like the prestige stuff that Heyman wanted you to think that yeah. it was about. Wasn't really over on the shows that it was on. Yeah, like the the Malenko Guerrero matches were great, but like ECW was really more about the blood and the guts. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's not, he's not the kind of star, like, and everybody was trading in, like, on TV in the weeks before, like, everybody and their mom who had a cup of coffee in ECW was like, oh, boy, I'm an original. Yeah. Um, So, he really does try to get the crowd on his side here. He comes out in tights instead of the pants he wore in WWE. He also has ECW on the back of his mask. This match shouldn't have been booked. Like, there's just no, there's no way out of this one, right? Yeah, and let's talk for a second about the other really horrible thing that they couldn't pull off this summer, and that's Rey Mysterio's title reign. Yeah, they fucked him so bad. Coming off of Eddie's death and all the momentum that Rey had for it, there's some people it's going to rub the wrong way forever that Rey got a push out of this. But he did, and he had an amazing amount of momentum, and the crowd was finally ready for him in the main event, and he wins the title in this big moment. It's great. And then he just proceeds to get murdered by monsters for six months. literal squash matches against, like, Henry, Kali, Kane, like, every single week. And, like, JBL is somehow, like, booking him in these matches and laughing at him afterwards. And, like, in JBL, we can just hear the voice of Vince McMahon. Yeah, and they just—they're basically just mocking him. Like he's—he's he's not treated like a real champion, and that's what you can kind of see here. Champion, he's going on in the middle of an ECW show against Sabu, and he puts over Sabu. Yeah, well, like to the extent that see, he can, because you know they're not going to put the world title on Sabu, right? And they're not going to have Sabu get beat. There's no other ECW guy on the, that world title level. Yeah, Van, Van Dam is working, and like maybe they should have put Kurt just, in the spot. They just didn't need a they didn't need a world heavyweight championship match here. This was a total afterthought. I don't think they announced this until like a week before. Yeah, like I, I honestly don't know what they were thinking. It kind of buries Ray just to have him in it. So then the fact that they protect him at the end, it's like I mean, what do you do? Like Ray needed to win this match clean, right? I mean, at this point, I feel like his title run was already fucked. Yeah. So, but I just, this match shouldn't have been booked. As for the match, there's not as much sloppiness as I maybe expected. Although at one point, Sabu goes for the triple jump moonsault and just kind of falls off the top rope. But there's some good action here. I think it was just like the 
the uh, the stupid idea of making this match that soured me on it. Yeah, I love this match. Like I it's one of I think it might be my favorite match from the night. Probably the main event was better, but and I, I just Sabu when he was on was such a special performer to watch. While this match didn't live up to what it would probably was on paper for some people, like, oh my god, Sabu and Rey Mysterio, the two greatest cruiserweights, blah 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 blah. It was the best of Sabu. Like he wasn't botching, he was really giving it his all. It was fast paced. And Ray Ray must have decided or been told, like, I'm gonna make everything Sabu does look amazing. I'm Ray just gets, gonna be here to Ray gets hurt in like five different spots in this match. Like yeah. Sabu hits the moonsault and his knee lands right on his head. He hits him with like three really stiff, unprotected chair shots. Yeah. And I mean, like that that's Sabu being dangerous. But like Ray's there to put over Sabu. Like, that's the only thing that I keep coming back to is why the fuck is the world champion selling so hard for Sabu? And then the finish, which is was probably a mistake to do a no finish on the ECW pay-per-view. Like I mean, the it, was, fans, it was the only way to get out of this. Yeah, the fans shit on it, but what an amazing spot oh, that was. It was terrifying. So they set up a table um, like balanced between the ring apron and the guardrail. Um, Ray like jumps off a chair in the ring onto the top rope, or Sabu does this, jumps from the chair to the rope, and grabs Ray and DDTs him through the table. And I mean, they spike. They go down head oh, first this, this through that table. It is like, like, to put that in their highlight footage for the TV show because that's like, oh my god, like that's that's a holy shit moment this for is real. A bad idea. But I mean, like, it it kind of looked amazing. It did. Even though it was terrifying, like they were both fine. So it was like, holy shit, what a fucking yeah. move. So they, they call the match on that. Um, I, kind of, in my view, a, a mess of a match that was really, really unsafe. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just, I, I can't lie. Like, I loved every minute of it. Like, sometimes ECW would pull off those matches. We were like, oh, my God, no human being should do this. But holy shit, it was great. Yeah, this was one of the ultimate don't try any of this at home matches. And I want to put over... Sabu's run here in ECW. This was probably the best ring work he ever did in this like six month period. Absolutely. Like we're, we'll get into why WWE ECW failed probably a little bit later. <laughs> don't smoke uh, crack. Yeah, don't smoke crack, kids. Don't don't leave miscellaneous crack pipes around in your car. You leave one crack pipe in the car, and nobody gets out. <laughs> everybody gets all. Yeah. All right. Um, but yeah, he he could have been something here. This was his shot in a big promotion. And honestly, he probably could have been a mainstay for a couple more years. It's just a shame. Yeah. So the next match, we get Edge and Mick Foley against Tommy Dreamer and Terry Funk. And this is where we get into, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but there's this thing with Mick Foley where like they let him write his own storylines and Mick Foley is a very smart, creative guy, but I feel like he would often come up with ideas that just didn't work and like bringing in Terry Funk when he was in his sixties and like the funk just like the crowd, like sh the crowd turned on his promos because they were just kind of incoherent because he just wasn't really with it and hadn't, 
been on a major wrestling promotion in 10 years at this point. And I just felt like this was a very strange storyline. It was. And you're right. Like this is, you got to remember that at the time, Mick Foley was less uh, a crazy person and more like, oh my God, everybody loves Mick Foley. He wrote all those books that people love. This is right around the time where he writes like Tatum Brown, which is people are just like, eh, the hardcore diaries or whatever it was about this, about pitching the storyline to Vince and about desperately trying to get it like pushed through. Cause he believed that this was the storyline to end all storylines. Hey. I mean, Mick Foley, like the anti, his anti-hardcore run in ECW was awesome. And his promos in the lead up to this were really good because um, he's Mick Foley and his promos are amazing. And like, you know, his stuff about how I don't want these guys to go through what I went through. It, it resonates. Right. On the other hand, him and Edge teaming up uh, like two months after they've had that vicious WrestleMania match is a stupid idea. Yeah. And like, it's another thing Mick Foley does where, he brings reality into his storylines, which is good, but sometimes he does it in a way that doesn't make sense. Like when him and Ric Flair, like yeah, had that feud that was entirely about things that no one, no one knew about. Yeah, the feud that was entirely about Mick Foley's crush on Melina. Oh God! That you would only know that. if you had read his book. Like, what the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> I had like forgotten about that but yeah yes. there's also a weird mick foley thing where he's like oh me and this hot chick we're such great friends she's such an amazing person yeah, yeah man, he tried to do that, that like 50 times like it was just like deborah's my special friend stephanie mcmahon's my special friend like mick we, we get mick, it yeah relax bro <laughs> yeah um so um, basically, the storyline is like Foley is against bringing back ECW. He teams up with Edge for some because they're friends in real life, even though it doesn't make sense for the storyline uh, for them to be teaming up. And Dreamer and Funk are defending the honor of ECW. <laughs> uh, Foley comes out with a massive shiner. I assume he got that from one of Funk's punches because Funk did not look like he was pulling his punches at all during this. I'm not sure he could. Funk looks horrible. Here. <laughs> Remember how when we taught when we did the show on Barely Legal, we were talking about how old Funk seemed. That was almost ten years before this. Yes, He's sixty-two here. Like, what are they doing letting him wrestle? And like, this isn't like Ric Flair sixty-two, where he still looks like he's athletic. Like, obviously, he's coming to the end of his career, but he, he damn it, he looks off. like he could still get in there with the kids and go. He he looks like he's eighty-two. Like, he looks dead. Thankfully, this was like his last match for a major wrestling promotion, although I think he might still be wrestling. Probably. But like, yeah. Do you think that this would have worked better if that's Sandman instead of Funk? I mean, the thing is, they were going for like Funk, you know, Funk is Foley's mentor and his idol and his best friend. But see, that never the problem with that is that Mick Foley spends his entire WWE career trying to put over Terry Funk as like that like one true nemesis connection with. And Funk never puts that over. I don't think Funk feels that at all. <laughs> I don't think Funk was I don't I'm not sure he had the mental capacity and speaking ability at this point to participate in the storyline. Yeah. And it kind of buries Tommy Dreamer because he kind of just gets lost lost in this yeah it begins 
Beulah just adds herself to it? Yeah, Beulah and Lita are in the match. So the, the pre-match promos I thought were really entertaining. Fully puts over the legendary owner of ECW, Stephanie McMahon, and Loved says, long it. live the alliance. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great troll. Edge gets on the mic, says, this is like Christmas for ECW fans. Only their Santa Claus is fat, bald, Jewish, and gives out an endless supply of Percocet. Man, what a deep shoot yeah. comment that is. <laughs> he says the fans are going to jerk off to pictures of Lita tonight. Lita gets on the mic. She calls Dreamer the innovator of silence and says that when she sat on Dreamer's face, it was more action than the fans get in an entire year. Awesome I mean, pre-match promos. These are three amazing heels <laughs> cutting just vicious promos. Yeah, love it. And um, Edge and Lita during this time are maybe my favorite heel act of all time. So perfect. I just what a great dynamic. I mean, just like sleazy guy who stole the girlfriend of a beloved wrestler, and like just like the whole like this woman's hotter than any woman you'll ever be with dynamic is so great. Yeah, and like he's so good looking and such yeah. a dick, and he's so good, and like it just pisses you off. Uh, Edge, I loved Edge. He, uh, this was this was his peak probably these couple years here. Yeah, and I mean he nobody really comes out of this match well. Like kind of everybody just kind of gets everybody dies in this match except Edge. <laughs> except Edge. Yeah, Edge comes out kind of without a mark on him. He comes out looking like a million dollars. Everyone <laughs> else staggers out horribly damaged, including Lita, and he's just like doop doop doop. I hump Beulah. <laughs> So, yeah, Beulah gets on the mic, challenges Lita to make it a three-on-three match. I have no idea why. <laughs> like, Beulah was not a wrestler. They don't, in the, they don't, they're not in the match. Like, I remembered it as, like, they actually were part of the match, but they don't participate until the very end of it. They just stand on the apron and, like, look at each other. But it's one of those things, like, this, like, this is what you would do if you desperately needed to protect team did Funk use the job like Tommy say, Dreamer like who cares about Tommy Dreamer getting pinned Tommy Dreamer's never won a match in his entire career yeah these are like the two most famous jobbers in ECW history who are you protecting against like, Edge I swear there was a point like a year after this where Tommy Dreamer won a match and it was like the first time he'd won a match on WWE TV in like six years five Absolutely. years yeah definitely um so you know it's a just an insane match. Like there's this massive piece of plyboard covered in barbed wire. That's like the star of the match. Oh my God. And like, it's kind of fast forward into the end, but like they have to wind up like the match ends just with Mick Foley <laughs> and Terry Funk caught in this thing. Oh my God. Cause they fall onto it together. Funk is bleeding and so much. The real deal, man, they are stuck. In yeah. the plywood. They could and, not like, have gotten Funk out. is like yelling at the guys, like, cut me out. You're going to have to cut it. Like, yeah, because if he tries to get out of it, it's going to cut his arms open. He's going to bleed out. Oh, my God. It's fucking terrifying. Like, it's There's, one of those things where, like, it's so much worse than it even looks. Barbed wire, fire, like, man-on-woman violence. Like, this is, like, this is what made ECW different and, like, just an absurd match. This is another thing about selling for ECW. Like, you can tell that Edge is a fan of ECW and, like, of Mick in general. Like, he's clearly, like, doing a lot. 
He's way uh, too good to be in this match. What other major, and I'm talking like top 20 ever in the company major Can you imagine Randy Orton like being it? in this match? Yeah. Or like yeah, even Randy Orton would just kind of like skulk around the outside. Or even Cena, like we're talking fire gets involved in a match starring one of the biggest stars in WWE history. What the yeah. fuck is he doing there? Yeah. You imagine pitching Steve Austin on, oh yeah, you're going to get slammed onto a flaming table. Yeah, like what the Rock, hell? Oh yeah, Rock, we're just uh, going to slam you on some barbed wire here. You're going to get <laughs> we're going to throw you into the barbed wire board. Just for some reason during this period, Edge was just like, you know what? I'm a hardcore wrestler. Let's Can't go. Anything. I actually love his gear where he's it's like like jean pants and the vest. I think it looks really cool. Yeah, and it's genius of him to do that because yeah, he's exactly. the only one who's got his body. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, actually, everybody's in a t-shirt because it's ECW and we don't want to see them shirtless. Yeah, nobody. Only Edge would you want to see shirtless. Yeah. Um, it's a ridiculous match. It's. I loved it. I'm glad they don't do matches like this anymore. Yeah, and this is sort of the end of Mick Foley having his way because I like Probably this match, but it reason. wasn't for success. Like this was supposed to be a semi-main event, and it just doesn't feel Isn't that it way. Weird that Mick Foley didn't wrestle the year before on the ECW. He was on commentary the year before this on the ECW show. Yeah. I wonder. I don't think what that was. I don't think he was physically in shape to do anything. Uh, Honestly, like he had been out of the ring since yeah. the Orton match. Yeah, oh four. So I mean, but that that was only a year before that. No, what does wasn't didn't he do the he did the feud with Flair in 05. I thought he did it after, but maybe you're right. Maybe he did. I don't know. Like it was it or was that this year? That's a very weird time. No, I think it was the Mick. year before. I think it was I think that was oh five. Yeah, that was like around SummerSlam, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And but like this didn't well I'd like to cover that another time, but that it's one of the all-time like the uh, feuds that didn't go over, right? Yeah, exactly. But this is just a very weird time <laughs> for Mick, and like, and getting Terry Funk and Tommy Dreamer over as important people, and like, I, I guess that's what this match was meant to do. But all it really winds up doing is making Edge look awesome. That's that's all it does. Yeah, yeah. Edge is the only guy who comes out of this. Like, <laughs> like we said, he just kind of walks away totally fine. He won the match. He humped Beulah dirt while he was pinning her. Yeah, <laughs> that's the most famous part of this match is the image of him just humping. Like, <laughs> he spears Beulah, right? That's what to do. Pulls pulls her like legs up, and he literally <laughs> just fucking humps her. Yeah, that's why Edge oh. was a great heel. <laughs> Um, cool down match before the main event Masato Tanaka versus Balls Mahoney only notable thing here is Balls wins with just a detestable chair shot to Masato Tanaka's head yeah uh, and like that, that that was sort of what Masato Tanaka did but god I wouldn't want to know about his concussion well, and, so did, and so did Mike well yeah him and Mike Awesome did and Mike Awesome you know I think was dead by the time this show happened right yeah and it's weird that they don't do like a tribute to him if he was Dead by the I think time they, didn't want to raise, they may not have wanted to bring attention to what Joey Styles said about him on commentary the year before. Ooh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um, so before the main event, Eugene comes out. Oh my god. <laughs> he says some stuff, you know, thanks his uncle Eric Bischoff, and then Sandman comes out to beat him up. Um, Let me give some credit. It takes so long for Sandman to get to the ring here, and he looks so drunk. Yes. 
let me give some credit to Eugene here for a minute. Nick Densmore, because like he was clearly put in an unenviable spot. Like everybody hates your fucking gimmick, you yeah. you son of a bitch. Go and out there is, and like, make when him Eugene hate you. First debuted, he was really over, but that was two years before this. By this point, it's like, why are they still using this character? Yeah. But like he does come up with like a funny collection of lines or just like, how can I accidentally say the wrong yeah. thing about ECW? Yeah. And Sandman beats him up with a cane and the crowd cheers a mentally handicapped man being beaten. Yeah, that definitely felt wrong. This is kind I, of what they I would did just enjoy, have. I enjoyed Sandman's like hardcore enforcer character. That was a good use of him. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and it was funny because we there was so much worry when he went on Sci-Fi. Is like it leaked out that like Sci-Fi is gonna make him have aliens yeah. and shit on the show. That only happened so Sandman could beat him up. Like the, it wasn't the a real thing. On the original ECW is so great. Such a great troll of everybody's concerns. Absolutely. I, I, like, wish they, I wish they'd done it more. I would have done that every week for the first like month and a half. Like I, I only remember them doing it a couple of times, and then like famously the one where like Big Dick Johnson's in there and he starts jerking off the cane. <laughs> <laughs> uh. While Sam just spits beer out. <laughs> That's one of the greatest gifs in wrestling history. I suggest you look it up. Yeah, no, I remember that. Um, all right, so it's main event time. It's John Cena defending the WWE Championship against Rob Van Dam. Um, so Van Dam won the money in the bank at WrestleMania 22. He announced in advance that he was going to cash in at one night stand. Um, you know, I remember there being kind of speculation. Would he face Cena? Would he face, you know, maybe they put the world title on JBL and JBL would have a ton of heat and Van Dam could beat him. Or maybe do they do Triple H because Triple H would probably have been even more hated than Cena here, but they were not going to put Triple H in that position right after he had just turned face and reformed DX. So they go with Cena instead and probably the right call. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to give something the stamp of approval, it had to be by beating Cena, who was so clearly like their guy by that point. Right. He's the guy. He's just gone over Triple H at WrestleMania. Funny because that's when the like I, the booze had started a little bit before that, but that's when they re- really started. That's Chicago when the smarts. Like the first time they had to acknowledge it, it was so much. Yeah, so like the smarts had really turned on Cena, which is funny because as a fan, like being like, "Boo, fuck you, Cena, we don't want you." And this was the show that changed my mind. Like yeah, even what, his biggest haters acknowledge that he did great here. Yeah, not only does he have the best match he had had in WWE to that point, I think, because this is before yeah. the Michaels matches, right? Yeah, that was the year after this. Yeah, so this is the best match up to this point. Not only does he put over Van Dam and like work his ass off to do it, but like his man, like his entire attitude here, like his presentation is so top notch. Like I, I can talk what a great heel he could have been. Yeah, I could talk about it all day. Like, my most watched YouTube clip of all time, probably, is his entrance into this match. Yeah. just Where he puts his head down, yeah. and his hat's over his eyes, so his eyes are dark, and he puts the title up, and he's just like, I don't give a fuck about any of you guys. It's, it's just such beautiful. an amazing contrast, too. I mean, he was still, he, he still had more of the Doctor of Thugonomics at that point. He wasn't quite like Fruity Pebbles John Cena, right. but it's still just such a different demeanor from the moment you see him. All of John Cena's best ever matches, he taps into this. 
this like I don't give a fuck. I'm the greatest who yeah. ever lived. Aren't all of John Cena's best matches where he wrestled as the heel? Yeah, like that's exactly probably what it really has to be. And this but I mean, the, this was the rest of his career was let's put Cena against a guy that internet fans love and let him get booed and they'll have an awesome match. Absolutely right. And he Cena always Bob delivered. Brian AJ Styles. That list can go on and on. But like this match, or, or, I mean, just just Cena in general. Like I seen anything like him before like you forget how early in his career this is like the triple h match was kind of yeah and like that was his first wrestlemania really wasn't that good a wrestler at this point no and that was his first wrestlemania main event yes yeah yeah he just he won the title against jbl the year before that in the sub main event yeah i mean this was after the program with kurt angle and chris jericho where they like bust their ass to put him over and everybody hates it that was part of the problem. They were trying too hard to put him over. Yeah. So it just, it doesn't work. But man, this is the perfect moment to have somebody beat Cena. And he had had like a long title reign before that. It had been like almost yeah, a year, right? He So he had won the title at WrestleMania, and then he lost it to Edge in um, January at the New Year's Revolution show. Right. But then he won it back three weeks after that at the Rumble. So basically, he's been champion for like 14, 15 months at this point. Yeah, so I honestly did not believe that Rob Van Dam was going to win, but I thought they were going to screw job it. Like I, I thought, thought they were going to do basically what they did with the twist that they actually kept the title on Van Dam afterwards. Right, but so, I did didn't think it was going to be this much. The like, big thing in that favor of Van Dam stands out to me is just how much of this match is Cena kicking the shit out of Van Dam. Right, like eighty percent of the match, I'd say, is Cena on offense. Yeah, which is funny because I guess they knew in advance that he was going to be a heel. Like, they had to, right? Yeah. He works like a heel finish. Like, he is 100% just putting a beating on Van Dam. He plays to the crowd, not directly, but he just keeps giving him those looks that, like, fire him up. Yeah. He's, like, pulling out offense you never see from him. <laughs> I love yeah they're chanting same old shit so he does I don't know like a fisherman's suplex buster or something they're like you still suck yeah exactly like you can't wrestle as he's pulling off like picture perfect suplexes and stuff like that <laughs> um, so Cena kind of digs his own grave here he has Van Damme in the STFU Van Damme makes the ropes he punches out the referee for kind of no reason yeah that is so unlike him too like that is yeah. it's a weird heel, moment it's heel John Cena but yeah um, this leads to um, Smackdown referee Nick Patrick running out from the back to start refereeing the match and now you think the screw job is in but um a guy in a motorcycle helmet shows up and spears Cena. He takes off the helmet and reveals that it's Edge. Turning himself babyface yeah. in one move. Yeah, suddenly the crowd, yeah, literally chants, thank you, Edge. Uh, Van Damme hits the five-star frog splash, and Paul Heyman runs in and counts the pin. I guess, who knocked out Nick Patrick? Was it Edge? Uh, I think so, something like that. Or like yeah, one of the moves. Him out. But yeah, yeah, anyway, a second, yeah, they do double ref bumps. Heyman counts the pin. Um, so when this happened, I was like, okay, Heyman can't count the pin. They're going to give the title back to Cena on Raw, and Van Damme will be the ECW champion. But that's not what they did. No. 
I mean, they give both titles to Van Dam and they run with him. Not only on ECW, but on both shows. Yeah. I mean, smart move. If and you want was, to establish the brand is credible. And he was so hot. Like really even was. on Raw, like he, he could have just been the Raw champion. Like ECW <clears throat> completely separate from anything. Um, so the locker room empties, everybody's celebrating with Van Dam, crowds going insane. Great moment. I, I think a really great show to kick off the new ECW brand. And at this point, the future looked really bright. There was tremendous optimism for what this was going to turn out to be. And then yeah. everything immediately went to shit. Oh, my God. Um, the crack pipe. I mean, let's actually say what actually happened. I mean, Van Dan, and this is like a couple weeks after, because I think it was before the pay-per-view where he was going to defend a title against Cena and Edge, right? He was, yeah, it was like, it was right before the 4th of July. It was like the weekend before, it was like the Friday or the Saturday before the 4th of July. And he was about, he was going to lose the title to Edge a week or two after that on like a on Saturday night's main event. But this still kind of botched up their plans because he was going to lose the WWE title, but still be the ECW champion. Right. But so what winds up happening is Sabu and Rob Van Dam get pulled over in a car on the way to the show. In the car, they find just a metric fuck ton of weed and a crack pipe. <laughs> yeah, like they open, like they open the windows and smoke just like blooms out. It's like a Snoop Dogg video come to life. <laughs> there's video, isn't there? There's video of this stop online. They've got like the dashboard camera on YouTube. But I think one of the officers is like, "Why do you smell like weed?" <laughs> I just. And, like, there's this real feeling, not just from, like, regular WWE fans, but even from ECW fans at the time, just, like, how could you blow it like this? Like, Rob Van Dam... You're the world champion, and you're doing drugs in the car while you're driving through a notorious speed trap. Right. And, I mean, this is, is like, the highest point of RBD's career, and it's his career's basically... It's not over, because he'll always be, like, somebody... But, like, his career as a main eventer is done. Oh, it's totally over. blew it here. And, like, yeah, understandably, they lost faith in him. Yeah. Sabu just, just straight up gets fired. They, it, confirmed, it confirmed everything they worried about him and, like, the reasons they hadn't put him on top before, that they just felt like he cared more about smoking weed than wrestling. It's just such unfortunate timing because, legitimately, he had been doing this for, like, 20 years. Like, this yeah. exact thing. It, and this is when he gets pulled over? yeah and like it wasn't serious criminal charges like it was in ohio marijuana is decriminalized in ohio even though they they were driving but even then i think they just like paid a fine and like there was no crack in the pipe it was just a pipe it just gets but since he's world champion it gets leaked to tmz like immediately and that's the problem it's on new the news and it's the world champion and it looks horrible so they're both suspended. And this is after, like, the first couple ECW TV shows were horrible. Yeah, like, they were. They were so, 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 so bad. The first one featured this, like, the main event was, like, a hardcore battle royal with ten guys where, like, all the guys were out of shape except Big Show. Everybody's botching stuff. Like, Big Guido can't even get up for, like, Big Show's slam, like half the guys in that match got fired that night 
this is the thing. Like, if they had given it six months and said, like, all you guys were signing you, get in the best shape of your life, get ready for real TV, let's go. But they didn't. They signed. They do. They do this all the time. They sign guys off the street because they need them when they need them, and they're not ready to be in this spot. Oddly, it, it just the two guys who actually got into shape were Balls Mahoney and the Sandman. And they wind up getting used a ton, like on yeah. Raw even. Yeah, Vince loved Sandman apparently. And then like he quit right as they were about to give him a push. Yeah. The most hilarious thing was like Sandman was apparently like the most professional employee <laughs> that Vince yeah. had ever seen in his life. He was just like oh, show yeah. up and like read a book, like put on his reading glasses and read his books. Like <laughs> it just feels like he's impersonating someone else. Oh my god! He's it like, was oh, great. this is what Vince McMahon wants in a professional wrestler, right? And the best part of his run, like I think this is <laughs> the best part of maybe anyone's run in WWE, is during the incredibly big "Who is Vince McMahon's illegitimate son?" angle. <laughs> Ken Anderson, but like it wound up not being because he fucked it up. <laughs> he, they start, they pull in a lawyer and they start reading off like things which are supposed to disqualify people. Like he has blame, he has blonde hair, he doesn't have any tattoos, like stuff like that. <laughs> Salmon gets disqualified on like the second one, but he just doesn't notice. So he's <laughs> in the ring until he's the last guy in the ring. <laughs> It's live TV. So literally, like, he's standing there, and there's nobody else in the ring. And, like, everybody's looking at him like, wait a minute. Is Stan Vance's son? (laughs) Why not? Actually, can you imagine, like, Sandman, like, now he starts, like, wearing suits and trying to be a gentleman? I would have done anything (laughs) to see that. I think that actually would have been hilarious. That would have been way better than Hornswoggle. I wish they had just taken a total, like, swerve and just been like, Vince had just seen him there and just been like, it's this guy! (laughs) (laughs) Give me a hoggy. (laughs) (laughs) So, Van Damme and Sabu both get suspended. Van Damme loses the WWE title, and then he loses the ECW title to Big Show. Heyman turns heel and becomes the heel authority figure back in Big Show as his champion. Um, So they're down to basically Big Show and Angle. And then Angle's drug problem is just out of control. They tell him, you need to go to rehab. He says no, so they fire him. And now they've lost their top three guys. And then comes the new breed. They call up just like, like... Everybody. ECW was always meant to be like, here's the ECW originals, and then let's call up some of our uh, OVW talent that we're not sure what to do with, give them to Paul, because he can work with people, minimize their flaws, and just like find a way for them yeah. to work. And he'd been working in OVW, so he knew all the guys. Call up a bunch of them, and then it just becomes this ECW originals versus OVW guys thing. You guys are ready for the spotlight. Only one of them can yeah. cut a fucking promo. It's a it's let a me, it's let a, me try to re- let me try to remember who's in the new breed. It's um Mordecai as Kevin Thorne, our old that's friend. Right. Uh Stryker. Uh, uh yeah, Stryker. Uh uh the Pope. Uh, what was he called in WWE? Elijah Burke. Elijah Burke. I always liked him. Thank God and, for him. He's the only one with charisma in the whole group. Who was the fourth? Oh, God, it's Monty Mar- Brown. Marcus Corvon, Monty Brown. And they couldn't decide how Marcus was spelled. 
Is it spelled with a C and a U, or is it with a Q? With a Q, like Marquise Corvan. <laughs> the Marquis like, de Corvan. They still wanted to be like, this guy's a former NFL football player, this guy played in the Super Bowl, but they can't use his name, Monty Brown, because people might discover TNA. That's just like one of those, like, oh. come on, man, that's his real name. Yeah. Like, again, this guy played in the NFL for, like, eight years. He played, he was a starter in a Super Bowl. Like, that's stuff you should be playing up. Make him seem like a credible athlete. Oh, and let, let me just send you to YouTube one more time. Go find his theme music. It oh, is – it's the worst fucking theme music I've ever heard. Was it, like, some kind of funk beat? Yeah, it's, like, jazzy funk. <laughs> I mean, what, and, but, and they were still kind of doing the alpha. Was he the alpha male, Marcus Corvon? It was the same gimmick, man. He had the was same he finish. Was Serengeti? No, he wasn't, which is a shame. Yeah. But he can't, can't really do the pounce properly without the six-sided ring. Yeah, there are like three people in wrestling history that TNA did better. And that's <laughs> one of them. Yeah. Um. So do you want to just quickly go through some of the other lowlights of WWE CW? Oh, please, let's do. December to Dismember, the worst pay-per-view in WWE history. But it, it had Bobby Lashley on it. So, it I mean, did. was it really that bad? Can anything with Bobby Lashley really be bad? Um, exactly. I love the story that what got Heyman fired was he kept trying to convince Vince that they should have CM Punk um, choke out Big Show in two minutes in the Elimination <laughs> Chamber. By that point, yeah, and like finally, Vince just gave Vince had just had enough and fired him. Um, <sighs> Braden Walker, uh, that is number two on the list of things TNA did better. <laughs> Fat ass Chris Harris, <laughs> man. I only watched TNA a little bit, but I knew who America's Most Wanted was. So when they signed Chris Harris, I was like, oh, he's good, right? This is gonna be good. And he shows up and he weighs like 300 pounds. Which is so funny because he had been in TNA like three months before and he looked fine. Like, why did they debut him when he was in that kind of shape? He only winds up having like two matches. And I distinctly remember because people in TNA made fun of him on TV for years <laughs> after that. I think at one point James Storm gave somebody as a gift of Braden Walker best of WWE DVD. <laughs> Oh, somebody on YouTube did an amazing trailer for like the Braden Walker DVD that like it's got like the Hall of Fame song in the background and it's got like his two backstage segments. <laughs> knock knock. It's Braden Walker. And I'm gonna beat your brains in. Yeah, what a catchphrase. And then there's like his other pre-tape is like he walks up to Matt Hardy and introduces himself and shakes his hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Colt Cabana is Scotty Goldman. That only lasts like a week. And like, it's weird That's because. W, that was like, guys would just show up and you'd never hear from them again. And then he gets another shot on SmackDown, right? Or is that before? I don't remember. Yeah, he was on SmackDown for like three weeks. And like, we all hoped it would be a thing because he got like backstage comedy segments that would like pop up in the middle of other people's matches. The. <laughs> on this fucking crew particularly like that their matches are being interrupted for stand-up comedy by Colt Cabana. Was Ty Dillinger on ECW or am I misremembering? As Gavin Spears, but only for like a cup of coffee. What a name. 
Yeah. Oh, they did not know how they could not name people to save their lives in this era. No. Uh, Ricky Ortiz, the dude with the afro who waved the towel. It's so funny because they've basically remade his exact gimmick in No Way Jose. Yeah. It is like, hey, the Hispanic, charismatic, athletic dude. Yeah. Uh, Mike Adamley, ECW play-by-play man who has never watched professional wrestling before. That shows you the disconnect of like when Paul Heyman and everybody leaves and they don't know what the hell to do with this show that they would genuinely think like yeah let's throw mike adamley on there the fans will love that american gladiators anybody who's on american gladiators is automatically over oh my god yes Uh, (laughs) um chavo guerrero is ecw champion that poor chavo like i in at various times chavo was very good but like Uh, that's the lowest point in the history of this show is them genuinely trying to convince us that Chavo was a world champion. And they'd even put him on posters and just be like, John Cena's the champion. Bobby yeah, Lashley's the champion. When they champion. would do Night of Champions. And it was Chavo. <laughs> yeah, that, that was about the time. was it? Because I think after he won the title, he was still in the Royal Rumbles. Like, that was the point where they were starting to stop pretending that it was a real world title. Yeah, and, but I mean, after that, they would come back to it when it became kind of its own NXT-style show. And a lot of people had... Gr- Great runs with that title. Matt Hardy, Christian, Tommy Dreamer, Matt, Mark, Mark Henry. Henry. Yeah. Jack um, Swagger had a great run. Yeah. So, like, now let's talk about the more positive end of this. Cause, like, this, when it, once it, once they kind of cut out the ECW part of it and just made it like a super developmental territory, a lot of guys either got their starts there or veterans kind of refreshed themselves there. Absolutely. Like, there's a period from, I want to say oh. it's like 2008 to 2010 but this was legit my favorite show in wwe history everything felt fresh it felt like every week somebody new and interesting was debuting and they were getting a ton of time and it didn't always work but it just felt experimental in a way that no other wwe show ever has yeah we're just like they're just trying stuff we gotta put on an hour on sci-fi every week fuck it, let's throw it up against the wall, see what comes out. And they managed to find a lot of stars. Evan Bourne, Seamus, um, uh, Miz, uh, John Morrison, Kofi Kingston. Kofi Kingston, yeah. Like, suddenly this, CM Punk was the, uh, CM Punk was the first one. Yeah. The guy who became the biggest star. Like, it's funny to think that OVW was the, what came up with all the talent from like, 2001 like 2005 ECW was what like the, the developmental that brought up all the talent from like 2007 to two to when NXT started like that's yeah. just a funny thing to think about yeah and I I wish I mean they ended up doing the EC the NXT like game show instead they probably should have just rebranded um, ECW as NXT and kept it oh, on absolutely. TV in its existing format absolutely it was kind of a slap in the face to ECW fans that by like 2010, ECW was the name that they put on a, a fucking show that had literally nothing to no. do with ECW. Zero. Like the only thing, the only resemblance was like Tommy Dreamer was still there. Absolutely. Oof. All right. So, kind of any, I, th- I think we've pretty covered this pretty extensively at this point, but any final thoughts on this show or the WWE ECW brand? I'd say just like 
a fascinating a fascinating misfire and i don't know if it could have worked out but certainly they caught a lot of bad breaks that ensured that it would end i'm not sure what they could have possibly done to make this a workable tv product like you got to remember like you got to but make it feel like ECW, but it's got to be in front of WWE fans and WWE arenas. It's got to feature some WWE talent, but and you got to jumpstart all the storylines that were dead six years ago from scratch. How the hell you pull this off? I don't think you can jumpstart a brand from scratch like this. I just don't think you can. No. I mean, can you I, imagine I've if you tried to bring work. back WCW at this point? Exactly. And WCW would was less of a was less a product of its era than ecw was those things where if you want to get something over whether it's a new brand or a new wrestler you need probably three to six months to pull it off before it's really viable and god damn it they just didn't have that kind of time yeah i mean it's I don't think they could have. I don't think there was a way that this was going to succeed. And what it ended up being was pretty great. A super developmental territory. It just wasn't ECW. Agreed. It wasn't ECW. It was still had value, but man, what a ride they put us on. Yeah. Uh, one of the more, I, I'd say this seriously, I think one of the more interesting things that ever happened in WWE history. Agreed. All right, so I think that wraps up our coverage of WWE CW. Next week, we're going way back in time, and we're going south of the Mason-Dixon line for some good old professional wrestling. It's going to be the Great American Bash 1989. Kyush, what are you looking forward to for this one? I have, not only have I never seen this show, I have, I'm not sure that I've ever seen a show from this year in this company. I'm not... I am was absolutely never an NWA guy, never an early WCW guy. I've literally basically seen like Flair Steamboat and some Steiner matches here and there. So like a lot of this is going to be almost completely new to me. So you guys are going to have to bear with me as I mark out. Some good old country fried wrestling. There we got go. Ric Flair versus Terry Funk for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Sting against the great Muda for the television championship. Yes. And sort of, a, I mean, really kind of a dream match. Uh, the two painted warriors going at it. Uh, Is this the first one that they had? Uh, first major one. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, Ricky Steamboat versus Lex Luger for the U.S. title and a classic War Games match. And a two ring battle royal with Sid Vicious. Oh, is this the one where he murders people, or am I not being specific enough? Not specific enough. It's actually Dan Dan Spivey who almost kills Johnny Ace with a powerbomb this time. Refreshingly, it's not Sid's fault. Shame he didn't finish the job, am I right? (laughs) So that'll be next week. Um, Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you see you again next week.